So uh, I think I almost made a mistake today or this morning with uh, what we were going to talk about. And so what I want to do maybe is back up and share a story of kind of when we started Antioch and then maybe kind of explain how I almost made a mistake. Um, when, when we started Antioch, it was an interesting thing. It was about five years ago, a little over five years ago. And when you start a church, there's only a handful of people. And the idea is there's not a lot for those people to get excited about. Not great programs or, or a lot of different things going on. And so really what excites people at that stage or what you're told excites people at that stage is vision. And so you're supposed to start a church with a big vision. Uh, it's what I was taught in seminary. It's what I've been taught through kind of the business world that the, the priority for the lead guy or whatever, the lead person, is to create a vision of where you're going to go and you inspire people around that vision. And so when we started the church, all I could think about was, man, I've got to have a vision. I've got I to gotta share a vision. Now, it was a really tough season for Tamara and I coming into it, and we were really beat up uh, relationally and, and some other things that had been going on. It was a rocky kind of run-in. And so it, it was really interesting when we started. Uh, I didn't have an opportunity to really craft a vision. Now, I'm not the world's greatest leader uh, by any stretch, but I'm intuitive enough. I can come up with some goals. I can come up with a vision, uh, but didn't have the opportunity to do that. So felt really exposed that way coming into the church. We knew our values. We kind of knew what mattered to us. We had some things we were excited about, but just really didn't have a, a vision worked out too well. Uh, and it felt wrong, like I was doing something wrong. Uh, a couple months into the church, though, it, it was really interesting. The church started kind of taking on a life of its own, and all these strange things started happening, um, what I would say kind of coming out of left field, things you don't see coming, you didn't plan for, you didn't orchestrate, they just kind of come out of left field. And so a number of months into the church, I kind of took stock of everything and realized that all the stuff with my fingerprints on it was kind of the messy stuff. And all of the good stuff was stuff I had nothing to do with. It just kind of came out of left field. And I really began to wrestle with the idea of the business model of vision and whether or not a senior pastor, like a lead pastor, was supposed to really chart a course for vision. So I remembered something I'd read, uh, read back when I was in grad school. I just picked it up this morning off the book cart. <laughs> Luckily we had it. One copy, someone can buy it afterwards if you want. But. So I read this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in seminary, and I remember going back to it the first year of Antioch. And when I read this in grad school, it was, uh, the thought was, I can never let anyone who's ever going to join my church read this. Because it flies directly in the face of, what my job or role is supposed to be. And so if anyone reads this, they're going to kind of fight against me, you know. And, and so i got to just keep people from this. But I remember when we started Antioch, going back to this, because I remembered, you know, some aspects of it. And I, and I read it again with kind of a fresh um, perspective and really reflected. And I'm, I came to, I've come to really buy into what Bonhoeffer's saying here and listen to what Bonhoeffer says and if, if you've ever read any leadership material you'll realize just how radical this is this is what Bonhoeffer says he says God hates visionary dreaming it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious and the man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God by others and by himself so a senior pastor who has a church community that creates this vision, now all of a sudden he and his reputation is at stake as to whether or not he can fulfill this vision. Everyone else becomes a means to that vision, and his prayers become, God, you have to actualize or help assist in realizing this vision because I've made public what it is, uh, what the metric is for success of this community that I'm fashioning. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. 
He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. So his standard for looking at people, evaluating people, really is done again with an idea to the vision. The vision now is the master of all things for that community of believers. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. So the business leadership books I, I read, um, and there's a, there's a place for this. There's, there's logic and there's reason behind it, but it's the vision that unifies the group of people. I mean, that's the whole purpose of vision is it pulls everyone into alignment and gives them a common goal so that it's not like, uh, you know, 10-year-old soccer where everybody's running around like crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the vision that unites the people. That's the whole point. And here's Bonhoeffer saying, as if his dream, the vision, is what really binds men together. Do you understand why, like, for years I was like, I can never let anybody read Bonhoeffer? When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. I've been to churches like that. I've worked at churches like that. Where the ego or the reputation of the leader with the vision is so at stake that good things can be happening or being created, but those things, if they're not actualizing the vision... This poor leader now stands in this awkward place of being unproved or, or at risk of failing. And so it, it, it just colors everything else or taints everything else. Have you been at a church like that before? When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, you guys aren't doing a good enough job. Then an accuser of God, God, you're failing me. And finally, the despairing accuser of himself. I shouldn't have done this. This isn't working. Why did I even bother? Um, so what happened when Antioch started was I felt really bad because I didn't craft the vision the way it was supposed to go. Then I began to realize that the church was actually growing and it was healthy and there was all these cool things, but they had nothing to do with vision or nothing to do with me. And so I came back to this and really began to question the idea that it's the, the, the lead person's vision that holds together the community of believers. And I began to kind of search through Scripture in my mind and, and began to think of things like the picture of the body that Paul talks about the church as a body and that it's... Christ is the head and it's from him and through him that this whole thing grows and builds itself up uh, in love. It, it, it knits itself together and becomes more healthy and more united in love as, as it's in Christ, the head, who's kind of directing this whole thing. And I, I began to think more about the pictures of leaders in the Bible and, and the dominant picture for me became Moses. And Moses if you remember right, was, was this kind of leader, I mean, very strong leader called by God to lead God's people out of slavery. And the picture was of, a, of this whole nation in the desert, and they had no idea where they were going. <laughs> no idea. There's, there's no straight line. Nothing's efficient. No rhyme or reason. I mean, if you, do, I mean, if you got one of those Bibles with, like, maps at the beginning... You know, and there's like an artist's rendition of what happened in the wilderness. It's like, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's these chaotic lines with no rhyme or reason to it. And how did, how did they get led? What was it that kind of provided? And it was the presence of God, the center of the community. And the, the symbol of that was by day this cloud or by night this kind of pillar of fire. And if that moved, if the cloud moved or the pillar of fire moved, so did the people. God's on the move. It's time to go. If, that's, if that stayed put, they would, they would uh, 
set up tents, and they would camp. And if they ran out of food, they would oftentimes whine, but then God would provide. And it was God at the center who was leading and directing and in a very real way animating the whole thing. It wasn't Moses' vision. Frankly, um, the closest thing to vision was when he, when he said, hey, we've got to go into the promised land. And, and everyone's like, okay, we've got to go into the promised land. We know how this goes. It's a military campaign, and let's go spy it out. Let's, let's assess it, and then let's figure out where to go. And so 12 guys go in, 12 guys come back, and 10 of them are like, no, it's not a good idea. It's a really bad idea. And didn't even take into account the fact that God had said, that's what you're going to do. I'm not asking for your opinions. I'm not asking for, I'm, I'm telling you, that's where we are going. And so the thing kind of for Moses that really drove the whole operation and centered it was the power and the presence of God. And if the people forgot the power of God, they would begin to ignore the presence of God. So God was always trying to tell them, remember how I led you out of slavery. Remember how I parted the Red Sea. Remember the plagues with Pharaoh. Remember how my mighty hand accomplished this. Because if you begin to doubt my power, you're going to take me for granted and ignore my presence. And then it becomes all about you, your human capacity, and your own dreams and visions for what could happen, might happen, or should happen. And, and so the mistake was to begin to use our own faculties to replace what happens when you just wait on God, open up your hands, and it's the, the power and the presence of God that animates the Christian community or his people. When, uh, um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Joshua. I was reading this while you guys were singing. There's a speaker out in the commons. So... I was, I was worshiping too. But in Joshua, we see kind of another picture of this. So Moses dies and, and now it's Joshua's turn. By the way, it's an interesting thing in Scripture. We're so... Uh, I, don't, I don't say this in a pejorative way. We're so ADD when it comes to God's will for our life. Okay? What I mean by that is we're always looking for God's will for our life and God's plan for our life. And then if we get an inkling, we're like, this is it. And then three months later, we're doing something totally different. And you're like, I thought God's will for your life. Is God changing his mind a lot or what's going on? You know, and what, what we find out is that we're just too aggressive with this whole idea of God's will for our life. And when you look at Scripture, you see that God typically has one plan for one life, for one lifetime. You know, Moses, take my people uh, out of slavery. Joshua, bring my people into the land. David, unify my people. Uh, Solomon, uh, unite the kingdom and build the temple. John the Baptist, prepare the way. Jesus, uh, redeem my people. Set the captives free. Uh, find those who are lost. Paul, go to the Gentiles. Peter, uh, go to the Jews. It's kind of this... Strange thing when you look at the people that God works through, they have this big, huge calling. And God works through their life and some of their, their pain and their experiences, like Moses wandering in the desert for years before God calls him and learning what it means to be a shepherd and learning what it means to be humble. And then God uses them way later in life. A lot of our pain and our experiences become what God uses to, to bring us into the calling he has for us. But it's a lot simpler and usually kind of one thing. And we're over here like on year one of the pain trying to figure out all these wills that God has for our life with no concept that 10 years from now is going to make sense. Or 30 years from now, we're going to realize that all of this was not an accident. God never wastes a hurt. That it was all a part of him shaping us for something he was going to do through us. Because it's not, his will is not about making our lives 
um, Hollywood-worthy. Because we, you know, when, we, when we're kind of really asking that question, what's God's will for life, my life? What, what's his calling? What's he going to do? We're really wanting some story that makes our life more significant and less mundane than we're afraid that it might be. But when God calls us, it's a part of serving his kingdom purposes. But we're over here in year one trying to figure out all these things. And, and God's like, man, you just got to trust my power and my presence and submit to me. You'll see it eventually, you know. But so we see now with Joshua this idea of it's his turn. And so he's going to be called up into to God's purposes. And the first thing God says is, be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua, dude, if you come up with a really good vision, and if you cast that vision really well, the power of your vision casting capabilities will unify these people in such a way that you will go into the land. That's not what God said. God said, you will lead these people to inherit the land. Why? Why? It says at the end of this kind of paragraph, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I don't care about your vision. I don't care about tight jeans and spiky hair. I don't care about style. I don't care whether people are with you or against you. Uh, You will do this, Joshua. Because I, my presence, my power, will go with you. And your purpose is going to be to serve me, and I will accomplish this. So listen as we turn over just one page in Joshua here. We get what's a really interesting thing in, um, in Joshua chapter 5, a real interesting thing in uh, Scripture. It's called a theophany or a Christophany, which is kind of like an appearance of, of God or the angel of the Lord, which many kind of theologians think is the second person of the Trinity, you know, way back in the Old Testament, making an appearance, whatever it is. Listen to what happens. Now, we're right on kind of the eve of the first battle. So a bunch of time has gone by uh, when God said, be strong and courageous, I'll go with you. A bunch of time has gone by, and we're really now going to get to the, the heart of the thing. Joshua is going to be a general leading these people into battle. Okay? So we're now really right up against it, so God shows up again. And listen to what happens. Now when Joshua, so this is uh, chapter 5, verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he asked, Are you for us or against us? Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my, my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. God, I got a big vision. Got a church that's growing. Uh, you for me or against me here? So I got this vision that needs to be done. What's God's answer to that? That's not, that wasn't planned. So what's, what's God's answer to that? Uh, Ken, I don't give a flip about you. I love you. I'd love to use you. I've got plans for you. But don't you for a second think that it's about you. 
You serve me. So, Joshua, okay, man, are you for me or against me? Because I got work to do tomorrow. You in or out? Neither. Okay, so you serve God. You don't serve kind of... Okay, so what's the message? What am I supposed to do to actualize this vision? Shut up, Joshua. Take off your shoes. Because the power and the presence of God is here, and it's awesome. It is, it is the story. It is the unifying force to what's going to happen, whether you're in or you're out, which is really what the question is. And you need to recognize that. You need to stop, take off your shoes. So, we're going into a year where we're raising the budget by 25%. Okay, so here's the mistake I almost made this morning. 25%. Man, I got to get these people to give more money. Well, to get people to give more money, they got to be united and together. Well, how do I get these people united and together? I got to cast vision for the church. It's the first week in January. It's the best time for it. A little State of the Union kind of thing. And, and we're going to we'll cast vision. And that way everyone's like, yeah. And, and so it's like, okay, I got to cast vision. That's my job. I got to do it. I've got to. Take the burden on of unifying these people around a vision so that we accomplish the goals that I and the elders have set out for us for this year. So then I eat bad food at 900 Wall last night, don't sleep the whole night. I, I'm sorry, I, someone might go here that works there. Um, <laughs> no, anywhere, I, I'm really sensitive to these, there's I got some issues. And so there's a lot of... There's a lot of times that happens. My equal rest, restaurant offender. Um, but so I, last night, it's like, you know what? I'm t- I don't want to give vision. I'm too tired to get all like, you know, rah-rah. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just like, man, I don't want, you know, oh, God. And then I'm beginning to go, wait a second. What am I doing? We started Antioch um, five years ago, and I tell you what, you could have cut me open. This is the only thing I'll hold on to. I believed in God. I believed that God could do mighty things, and I used to go around saying, God's looking for a few people that are willing to dream big enough dreams to believe that they can change the world. Because if it was impossible to change the world, then God wouldn't have told us to try. See, there's a big difference between fix the world and change the world. Ain't none of us here are going to fix the world. Okay? But everyone in this room has the power to change the world. Okay? And I wanted to spend my time with a group of people who are still idealistic enough to believe that the power and the presence of God could work mightily in our day and that we were willing to submit and to serve that and that somehow through that God could use this humble little thing that we were going to do and actually change the world. And so I have a really good friend and we would joke about, wouldn't it be amazing if God used a small church from a small town to to literally change the world and to shame the whole notion of you got to have some mega church with with people dropping millions of dollars everywhere you turn and, and that that's how you change the world. It's like, no, God operates out of Galilee, right? You know, and I'm like, so I used to joke about, man, Bend can be like Galilee and, you know, Orange County's like Jerusalem, you know? And, and so that's what, we, that's what we believed when we started this church. And so we used to ask people like, hey, don't, don't come unless you pray about it. And God, you hear God or you sense God or you feel that God is calling you to be a part of this church. And Sean Kent's sitting there. He prayed that prayer. There's other people here, the Wallers. Like, 
people prayed that prayer because it was like, I don't want to get a couple years in. And things get tough, and you, you stop and you go, now why are we here again? And the answer is, well, that's right, Ken twisted our arms. Ken had a big vision. You know, every church is going to face trials at some point, right? I mean, no church is perfect, no person's perfect. So the whole saying is, if you find a, uh, a perfect church, leave, because, you know, if you stay, you'll make it imperfect, you know? There's no perfect people. A church is a conglomeration of imperfect people. It's imperfect. There's going to be trials. And so the, the, the thing was, you got to pray about this, because someday, when it's not going well, we're wandering around in the desert, and you're wondering, what are we doing? You need to be able to say, okay, why are we here again? Oh, that's right. God called us to this. God called us to this. Okay, so God, what are we supposed to do to encourage leaders or to serve or to be a constructive, positive force in this body to nurture and, and affirm and bring about the right kinds of things or to lead by example? So the whole thing was, don't come unless you pray about it. Because we wanted to be with the people that are just believing in a big God. So that was, that was really all it was five years ago. So um, I want to share with you just some cool things going on. Because instead of vision, I just want to tell you what God is doing. Instead of telling you to give more, I want to tell you this. We just made budget for the fifth year in a row. We did. You know, now the thought process is don't tell people that because then they're going to go, well, then I, gotta, I don't got to give today, you know. But we did. I mean, five years, how many, when did the economy go bad? I don't even remember. It was sometime about Obama, the time of Obama. <laughs> not, not cause effect, but I'm saying it was around that time. The, but that's a long time, right? So we just made budget for the fifth year in a row. We've, we've never missed paychecks. Came within a couple days last year. We've never missed paychecks. We've never had more than like um, 30,000, 40,000 in the bank like ever. Now we have like around that much. I mean, for five years, we've flown that close to the deck. Neil Cole's like, Ken, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like one of the elders like, oh, Ken. Um, I don't know about you, but that's pretty crazy. So it's like every time money's tight, I start freaking out, I lose sleep, and then Rick Gerhardt sat at an elder meeting going, we've been here before. We just need to pray. We need to trust our people. Our people are generous. Our people are faithful. We just, you know, so for five years, we've never gone without, um, we've never missed a bill We've never gone without. I think we're the only church I know of that hasn't had to lay off staff. It's crazy. It's crazy. I didn't do that. You guys did that. Um, we did that. So we're going into this year. You want to know we're raising the budget 25%. You, know what? you want to know where 15% of that is going? Because this is a really cool story. Um, it's a really foolish thing that the elders decided to do. Uh, but I'm going to blame them because that way I can absolve myself. But no, this is what, uh, for, with 15%, we're go, we've, we are setting aside and budgeting 10% of our budget to go to church planting, um, Kilns College, and local and global missions. It's not like to hire staff for those things. It's to completely shove it out the door. Um, so we have two church plants that are being planted through our church planting network with Imago Day and a bunch of other churches that we helped kind of co-found this year. And so uh, as of this month, we're investing into two different church plants. Um, I don't know how it worked out this way, but one's in Ventura and one's in Hawaii. Um, it's just how it worked out. Uh, but so we, the, the number one way of people coming to know Jesus, the, the number one way that people come to faith, statistically, is through the planting of churches. And the second biggest way that people come to faith is through churches who plant churches. Um, we're now committed 
in budget and, and already kind of signed on, that we're going to be about planting churches. Um, we just sent out a missionary couple to Argentina last week. And then this summer, we, send, uh, we get to send the Maras to, to Kenya, and you're going to hear a lot about that. And we sent out our second family from this church who's going and moving and going out to the field. So we're involved in, in seeing that multiplication. We've got some unbelievable things going on that you're going to hear about over the next month or so with uh, the ministry in Cambodia that we're a part of, as well as Nicaragua, and, and as well as uh, in Uganda. And, and then we're trying to get involved in a more meaningful way locally. Um, here's the thing. Churches with local missions tend to be really hot and cold. We'll talk about it. We'll dream about it. We'll get all amped up, and we'll be really hot for a while, and we want to go sweep off some sidewalks. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, I'm meaning to be critical of, of churches in Antioch. You know, it's... it's Look at how we're loving the city, you know. And, and, and then we, like, get distracted for six months. And, and what ends up happening is the social-type workers in this town that give their lives to this, that really know what's going on, they become really disillusioned with us, really burned by, the, by kind of the, the in and the out and the in and the out. And, and it begins to almost be like, yeah, we don't even want to talk to you. Here's a small group of people in this town that actually do it. And there's a bunch of you in this church that live that out. Well, we've now got kind of commitments with Bend High and the Family Advocacy Network that we're doing things with. We've got several other commitments um, and to, to try and add more structure and support to those of you in this church that are actually doing this and know what you're doing. And to get beyond just like hot and cold and hot and cold, but to really impact our city. Um, they say that the 20-year-olds, the if you're in your 20s in America, there's like 20% or less that go to church. The percentage nationwide is like 35 to 40%. So what's basically saying is this next generation or this, the generation of 20-somethings, half the rate are in churches than, than the other generations. And if that's going to change at all, if you're a 20-year-old, if you know a 20-year-old, how's it going to change? I think the bottom line question for someone in their 20s is, you got to show me that this is real or I don't want to be part of it. If it's just some empire building by some lead pastor with a vision, I, don't, I really, I got better things to do with my time. I got, I got video games or something. So they want to see that you're actually caring about other people, not empire building. They want to see that it's authentic. They want to see that you're, you're a light, a city on a hill. You know what I'm talking about? And so we want to continue to grow. We haven't been the best at structures and equipping and support. There's a lot of you in this church that do a, a way better job of, of loving on the community. And we want to really this year build into that and come around and support that. It's an amazing thing with the Justice Conference. There's going to be 3,000 people in, in uh, Portland in a month from all over the world. Uh, I can tell you a lot of top secret stuff about the 2013 conference, but it's top secret, so I can't tell you. But this thing is growing and becoming this huge movement that a, a bunch of us from this church started, that, that we kind of birthed, and it's crazy. And because of it now, there's a lot of churches nationally that are looking at Antioch and calling us. And they're looking at us and saying, how are you guys living this out? We want to learn from you. Show us. And frankly, we're not probably the best church. We, we dream big dreams. We have big desires. We care about this stuff. But one of the things we want to do is grow up into that. Does that make sense? And being able to put budget money around that, your money as it comes in that goes out to making a difference with people in our community, and around the world, this stuff is going to help with that. And so, um, I, I'm, I don't know about you, I'm just, I'm stoked. I, I'm, I'm stoked on being able to go around and feel like our church authentically and, and, and is growing in terms of our ability to make a significant impact in our own community. The, uh, so that's 10% of our budget. Um, is going to just get pushed out the door. The other 5% of the, so 
you know, 10% and then 5%, so 15% of the 25% budget increase, is uh, we're going to save 5%. We're going to put it away for sustainability and long-term health. Because we're trying to talk about finances and saying churches usually only talk about what, what 10% of your money. We, you know, churches usually talk about tithes and offerings. They talk about the 10% that they want out of your money. And what we've been trying to do for the last two years is say, no, we actually want the conversation to be different. Um, we are all stewards individually and then corporately as a church. We're all stewards of God's money. And we want to talk about 100% and what it looks like and what it looks like to save and what it looks like to be wise and what it looks like to not be consumeristic. And so we've been offering those Dave Ramsey classes because he's got a cool beard and a cool bald head and, and, and he's really good at this stuff. And so we've been offering these Ramsey classes and saying we want to just talk about the whole thing and become smart at this stuff. Well, a big part of that is, you know, the whole cutting up credit cards and making sure you're saving. And we're kind of saying as a church so that we're not always coming back every couple months and saying, ah, oh, or someday when we need something to invest into something God's doing, that we're setting aside money to save as well. And so 5% of that budget increase is, is that. I think it's a really cool thing. I think it's something I'm excited about. Um, I told you guys a number of months ago that uh, one of the coolest God stories had happened to us, and that was, We'd always had a vision of having a, a motel that we would refurbish and that would house interns and Killens College students. You remember this? And we were thinking, like, how in the world are we going to raise $2 million to buy a motel and refurbish this thing? And out of nowhere, a businessman in town uh, put us in charge of a 15-unit apartment complex in a horseshoe, just like the motel vision. And we get to run this thing as if it's ours. And then three to five years from now, we're locked into this ridiculously low price and all of the money that we're paying in cuts down the premium and three to five years from now, if we wanted to just purchase this thing, we could. And the funny thing is, as the appraisal value goes up, um, we'll probably just be able to purchase it without even putting any money down because the appraisal value is going to be so much higher than where we're at with it. And to date, we like, haven't spent a single penny on having this 15-unit horseshoe kind of apartment complex. We've actually made $100. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Um, I think we got a picture. We never showed you a picture, but if you, it's a really high-res picture. Uh, it looks better up there. But if you picture that, um, those are like two pictures together, so don't picture it continuously. But it's four, it's four big units like that, and then a, a two-bedroom or three-bedroom house that's a part of it, and it's all in a horseshoe with a big parking lot in the middle. We've already got four of those units filled with interns, uh, and slowly but surely we, we're switching out to the, to the point where this whole thing is going to be this like filled with interns and college students, and that you know, parking lot in the middle is going to be like Tailgate Central. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That cool vibe that college kids and that whole student movement thing, it's, it's happening, and uh, it's... Like, I'm stoked on it. Our intern ministry, we've had 86 interns from 24 different universities, and we've already got over a dozen um, uh, applications in for this summer, and we've never had that before. We usually start recruiting in, like, February, and then they kind of trickle in. We've already got over a dozen, and we're going to have to cap it probably at 40 students this summer and turn away a whole lot of people. And we've already got um, several, a handful of new uh, universities, Baylor and others, that we've never had interns from before, but this intern ministry is ridiculous. It's what you'd expect of like the biggest churches in the country, and it's unbelievable what is happening with this intern ministry. And the amount of the interns that are staying and, and joining the Antioch staff or, or just calling Ben their home, Audrey's one of them, Grace, who's up here singing, past interns that stay here, it's like we're importing missionaries. It's ridiculous. And there's now a year-long component to this that's going year-round. And there's uh, 10 year-long interns now. And then come in the fall, uh, in the fall that's actually going to grow. The year-long interns pay $5,000 to come intern at Antioch. It covers all their expenses, the housing, and everything else. It's an unbelievable ministry that Brandon's got put together here. And we've got churches calling us on a weekly basis saying, what are you doing, how are you doing it? 
There's all these things where we're on the verge of, of just having this national level influence that I never saw coming in these kinds of ways. And I trace it all the way back and it's one phrase. Idealistic enough to believe that we still can change the world. Because if it was impossible to change the world, God wouldn't have told us to try. And that we're on the verge of all this craziness. We, and, and it came from left field, wasn't a part of the vision, but God is working in ridiculous and, and crazy ways. So I'm going to tell you the biggest one. And I, I want, I want you, I got to set it up right because you got to understand it's the craziest God story ever. Because if I show you the picture right now, you'll be like, what? <laughs> um, so about eight months ago, we, we looked at having a building for having Antioch offices. And the quote we got was like two and a half times what we were currently paying. I mean, it's just way beyond our reach. Our lease comes up where we're at now in February, and so we budgeted to be able to stay there with kind of where the market was at, is at now. We budgeted what we were going to need to just stay where we're at. And so driving around one day, I called, excuse me, I called um, someone in the church who's in this industry, and I just said, why don't you go back to those people and just tell them what we budgeted and tell them we'll take that building if they'll give it to us for that, right? Uh, so... To make a long story short, um, this whole thing worked out. We said, we'll pay what we've got budgeted for this year to stay where we're at uh, with no guarantor, which we've never been able to do anything. Uh, nobody does anything with a nonprofit with, without some kind of a personal guarantor. Um, but we said, we don't want to do a guarantor. We don't want to um, have a security deposit. So no security deposit, no guarantor. We want a free month at the beginning. And... Uh, <laughs> And we're not going to pay more than what we got budgeted to stay where we're at. And so this whole thing um, comes down, and we, we inherited a bunch of furniture that was left in the building and all sorts of craziness. And so we actually, this year, have this space for eight grand under what we had budgeted to stay where we're at. Okay? That sounds really cool, but see, here's the tricky part. As soon as I show you where this is at, your initial gut instinct is going to be to get frustrated and say, you guys must be doing something wrong and wasting money. There's no way you got that building, and, you know, there's no, there's no way. So I was talking to one of my mentors. I was like, man, I just have this feeling like people are going to get mad at me and feel like we're being opulent or, or whatever. And, and he's like, it's the greatest God story ever. I'm like, yeah, it's the greatest God story ever. Even the, the gal that was the representative of the owner when we're doing the walkthroughs like man I've never seen anything like this this is pretty crazy you know and there must be someone that's looking out for you you know <laughs> um, power in the presence right and, uh, and so even she's saying I'm so I'm telling my mentor I'm like yeah it's this crazy God story he says, says then, then tell people the God story I'm like well, what if someone like thinks the wrong thought what about perception he says tell those people to pack their bags and go to a church where God's not working if, if they don't like it, if they don't like it, then they can just go somewhere where God's not answering prayer, you know. All right, so, so um, I think we've got some pictures, but the E-Fusion building now belongs to Antioch. Yeah. So this is 7,000 square feet of the nicest building in all of Bend. Um, and, and uh, with, with the best mountain views in all of Bend, which I'm really nervous about. And Justin's got some great ones. I won't tell you about mine. Um, the, uh, so let me walk you through a couple things. Because um, it's got this, we can show the next picture. It's got this huge, big room area um, that now is going to be not only where the youth meet. By the way, if you looked out those windows, you, you'd have a panoramic view of of all of the Cascades unobstructed. It's really, like, cool because we're now going to be doing men's and women's ministry out of here on, on Saturday mornings. And so if you drag yourself out of bed uh, to, and get a coffee and then show up in this room, you'll, it, you'll, it actually is worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're kind of like, no way. Um, 
if you go back a picture, actually go back a picture, there's this, um, that room in the glass there is going to have a conference table in it so that the youth groups, when they break, uh, break up into groups, and then also all, we've never had, this is not an office, this is a ministry complex. Uh, we've never had a church building before. So there's all these people that want to do like women's book clubs and, and, you know, during the day kind of things and stuff like that. And we finally can sign you up all week long, running groups in and out of here, uh, to be able to meet and do your book meetings. Downstairs, we're turning a room into a nursery, so we actually can do child care out of this place. And so as you're bringing your book clubs during the day or whatever, uh, we can actually watch kids. And so it, it's going to double as this huge kind of ministry center, not just offices, which is pretty crazy. Uh, there's another picture here. We've got our own parking lot. Um, and what's cool about that is um, we've never had anything, again, we've never had anything like that. So for junior high and high school, and, um, being able to rope it off, play dodgeball, play all sorts of things like that, um, our student ministries finally get to just basically have room to run and to, to be youth, you know, and, and to do what youth do that way. And so it's this crazy, ridiculous thing. Uh, I don't have a picture to show you the whole intern wing an area that way, but um, this is, I've been trying to wrap my arms around it, and like, as we had an all-day elder meeting yesterday, and just seeing all these things fall into place, and in, in the, the way in which they're done, and you, you realize, like, we got it for, you know, practically half of what we, we're putting the Justice Conference in there, which, so it brings us all together under one roof, but we're paying practically half of what we thought we were going to pay nine months ago. And it was really frustrating at the elder meeting. I was trying to tell a couple guys this. It's like when things are really cool, you know, you naturally want to do something, like act on it. And so like with football, you know, you score a touchdown, you jump in the air, you do chest bumps, you know, you do high fives, and you can celebrate it, you know. And so like we're coming out of elder meetings, and it's, it's like, there's, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like I'm feeling it right now. It's like there's all this crazy cool stuff going on, like, you know, like, what do you do? You know, maybe that. So, thank you. You know, it takes a, a village um, to figure it out. Um, all right, a couple quick things related to that. So this Wednesday, the, the youth start meeting here. And uh, we want to do a parents meeting and, and just talk about the, you know, the vision. Uh, talk about maybe what God might do through youth ministry like this year. And uh, so we want to kind of meet parents there. I'll be there this Wednesday. I just really want to get excited. Audrey, I'm so proud of our staff. If you know any of the people on our staff, I'm so proud of our staff. We have the most amazing church staff um, that are all in. And I want you guys to know that. And so to be able to kind of join Audrey and to talk about what's going on with, with youth ministry is going to be really cool. Uh, and then Brandon's already got a bunch of things fired up with men's ministry, and, and I think there's some women's ministry things kind of coming around that. And I'm just stoked because what God did was basically give us a, a building that can drive what it is I think he wants us to do in this town. It's, 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 it's an asset, and it's not how nice a building is. It's how you use the building. Does that make sense? And so we're going to use the, the heck out of this building. And I hope, I hope you'll help us do that. You know, you can sign up, get in line to figure out how to use it and get your book club in there. Um, I want to close by just kind of going back to something I did. I asked Caitlin just the other day to kind of do a picture of this. But we did a magazine our first year of Antioch. Um, and I wrote this article in that magazine, and it said, don't go to Antioch. And the lead quote is, church for me was always a lot like kissing your sister. You could do it, but who'd want to, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I, just, I just was kind of honest. Like, for me, church is like, it all, I, I like to dream big dreams. I want to be somewhere where crazy things are happening and stories are being told, right? And and I realized when I first became a Christian, it was interesting. Like, I, I, you know how if you're in youth groups or college groups, they're always bringing people in to tell their testimonies? And after a while, I was like, there's always people telling stories. And then there's like a hundred times more people that are always listening to stories. And I kept watching this. And after a while, I was like, 
well, if, if it's all the same, I'd rather be the one telling the stories. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever thought like that? Like, I could, I'd rather be that one, you know, and, and be able to, you know, share with groups. Like, here's how I've seen the power of God move when the presence of God is in something. And so for church, it was like when we started, it was like, man, I don't want to be here if God's not in it. If the Holy Spirit ever leaves the building, I don't want to still be here running a good business. Like, I want to be in this as long as God's in it. I could care less about legacy. I don't care if Antioch's around in 25 or 50 years. I don't think that's God's goal with this. The church is going to be around till Christ comes back, the local church, not Antioch. You know what I mean? Like, it's bigger than Antioch. It's God's vision for his kingdom through the local church. We're going to do a series on the seven uh, letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, we have some really cool sermon series coming up. But the interesting thing about that, I'll tell you right now, is none of those churches is still there. These churches are in the Bible, and they got really good advice once upon a time. And they're not there anymore. I don't think God's goal is that a church never goes away. I think there's a lot of churches I'm aware of that need to die. Because unless something falls to the ground and dies, something else good might not be able to come out of it. And there's a lot of things that we're trying to protect too much. And, and I, there's a lot of things that need I don't care if Antioch's around. It's, it's not my, my emotions are not tied to the legacy of Antioch 50 years from now. My emotions are tied to what we do in the present that nobody can ever take from us. If we truly take the best of what God gives us here, our time, our energy, our resources, our talents, and we give it away for the kingdom, if Antioch were to go away next year, no one could take away what we gave away. Does that make sense? Antioch could be gone next year, and I could still tell the God stories the rest of my life. And so in that article, I said, don't go to Antioch. Unless, unless God calls you here, and unless you want to serve, serve the local church, then, then don't go to Antioch. There's plenty of other great churches out there. Go to one of them. And what I said was, we have this saying, this mantra. And the mantra is this. We want to take the best of what God gives us and give it away. Um, the church at Antioch was, a, I think, the most authentic picture in the early church. So if you go to the book of Acts, you read about this church in this town called Antioch. And they were this incredibly authentic expression. And one night, they go to prayer and God, uh, not the human vis uh, vision or, or dreaming or goal setting, but God says, I want Paul and I want Barnabas and I'm going to send them on mission. Which is uh, equivalent to saying, I'm going to take your lead pastor and your senior associate pastor and I'm going to take them and send them away starting next week. That's a really bad business plan for a church. That's a really bad idea. It's not good vision or goal setting. But God's like, yeah, I got this. And this is how I want it to work. You set aside Paul and Barnabas. They weren't yours to begin with. I brought them both up from Jerusalem. And now that they've been here and helped you go, uh, get going and trained you and all that stuff, guess what? I want you to set them aside for me and I'm going to send them. And, and the church at Antioch did just that. And they took the best of what God had given them, the best, and we're willing to give it away for the kingdom. And so in that article, I said, we want to be a church that is known for taking the best of what God gives us and giving it away. And whatever we give away, nobody can ever take that from us. That act of faith, that belief in a big God, that moment of trust and sacrifice and serving and co-laboring with God in this thing of, of building his kingdom on earth— no one can ever take that from us. And so, you know, kind of as we look forward to this next year, some, you know, I have good days and bad days on whether we'll make budget and all that stuff, you know, but somehow I've got to believe it's just going to take care of itself. Um, you guys, we have done an amazing job so far. I think that's going to continue. I think the bigger issue is to say, are we going to go to a church where it's all about entertainment and receiving, or are we going to become a community that's centered not around human vision, but around the power and the presence of God that we expect God to do big things 
that we see enough God stories happening all around us that we can jump up and celebrate them, and that we're all committed to bringing what we can to that table. Here's the coolest part about that. If, we, if, if, if our vision for our faith devolves into individualism, the question, the bottom line question we're always asking is, I want God to answer my prayers. How come God isn't moving in my life? How come I'm not seeing the power and the presence of God right now in my life? The crazy thing is, if there's anything I think God created church for, is that when we're really a church community, then we're always able to see the power and the presence of God at work, even if it's not at work in our own life at that moment. This, if, you, if you hear any one thing, God meant for you to be in community so that even if you're in a dark time, you can see someone else and see that God still is working even if your prayers aren't being answered. Or that collectively, he's in the center of a community and moving in, in great or important ways and that you can look at that and go, God is still active and living and moving even if he's not answering this prayer that I've been praying for the last six months or year. And there's other people, there are other people that can see you and come and encourage you. But somehow, if we're coming to it individualistically, we're asking God to always be at work in tangible ways in our life. And God is saying, you follow me. Are you, you know, we ask God, are you for us or against us? And God says, neither. You serve me. You come to where I am and take your shoes off and you'll see that I'm at work. You'll learn that I'm at work. You're going to hear that I'm at work, and you're going to be a part of what I'm doing. And if there's anything that we should get excited about for church in a very non-American way, but in a very biblical way, it's that as we come together as a community centered on Christ, we're going to see the power of the living God at work. And I just pray for this year, not that we have some really big goal, and then we all align around that goal, but that this year we have continue to have big enough dreams and we rally around it enough that we can see God's presence at work in each other's lives and then corporately together as this church. Does that make sense? So I'm going to pray for us in just a second, but if you're willing to just be in to church, that it's, it's more about what you can give than what you can get. It's more about what you can do than what it's, what it's going to do for you. If you're willing to just be all in to God's vision for the local church, I'm just going to ask you to stand with me while I'm praying. And I'm going to pray for us and just kind of commission this year that we would be aware of God, uh, His power, and His presence as we move forward. And then they're going to come up and um, sing the offertory, and and we'll keep going. But uh, if you would, um, if you want, you don't have to. You could be a visitor, and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Um, That's okay. But if if you're willing to just say, man, this is cool stuff, and I want to be all in, then go ahead and stand with me, and I'm going to pray. God, it's hard for me to feel like my voice can capture what would need to be captured to truly say your name in a way that would honor it and revere it correctly. That if you truly are an awesome and holy God, that somehow the mountains should quake or catch fire or rumble to accurately give glory to you and I just feel like my voice is weak to that task right now and so collectively as a community we want to throw out our hands and we want to just say that we're yours that even if we have our bad days we do know that we belong to you not the other way around that we want to serve you that the gifts and talents we have were given to us by you they're not our own And God, we want to commit to being where you are, to working where you're working, to serving your purposes, not just our own agenda. God, I just pray you'd fill us with grace and with patience and with with just positive energy that we would be this uplifting and nurturing and encouraging voice to, to fellow believers. I just pray that you would give us hands that are willing to be calloused to 
to work hard in our local context, in this city, to come alongside the people that know more maybe than we know, but that in all of that, this church would bring you glory because people would see our love for each other and our love for the needy. And in seeing that, they would learn about the character of our God. Let our actions reflect the character of our God, Father. And where we're weak, please supply the difference. We commit this church to you. We commit our endeavors to you. And if at any moment you want to change course and radically take us in a different direction, we want to be submissive enough to say that we'll do it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.